On tonight's episode of Panels to Frames, Spy Smasher! In December 1941, the United States had no choice but to enter World War II after the attack on Pearl Harbor. This propelled the U.S. to make pro-war media and propaganda in various forms, from posters to commercials to comics. This made translating any pro-war and anti-Nazi media into film a hot commodity, and it just so happens that a certain well-selling comic book superhero fit the bill quite well. Spy Smasher's first comic was released in February 1940, in issue 2 of Wiz Comics, published by Fawcett Comics. The other hero appearing in that issue of Wiz Comics was none other than Captain Marvel, who we covered in the last episode. He would even appear alongside Captain Marvel in several Wiz Comics issues, and under the America's Greatest Comics banner as well. Spy Smasher's popularity skyrocketed due to his ability to kick the butts of Nazis, and his comic coming out just before and in the middle of World War II. And just like Captain Marvel, Spy Smasher quickly became a hit among comic book readers, setting him up to be a strong candidate to get his story adapted for the silver screen. The Spy Smasher serial had a lot in common with the Captain Marvel serial, as it was made by Republic, directed by William Whitney, and was based off a character created by C.C. Beck and Bill Parker for Fawcett Comics under the Wiz Comics banner. This was also the first instance of a comic book superhero film featuring a hero who technically had no powers. The serial actually came in slightly over budget, originally set for 153000 and came in at 156000 or just under $2.5 million with inflation in 2020. It was the 25th of 66 serials that Republic produced, and the studio put their top stunt and effects men on the project. They also used Beethoven's Fifth Symphony for the theme song. as it emulates Spy Smasher's signature Morse code for the letter V as in victory. The story revolves around Alan Armstrong, aka Spy Smasher, played by Kane Richmond, as he attempts to undermine the Nazis' efforts in France. After escaping the country with the help of his ally Durand, Spy Smasher makes his way back to the United States, meeting up with his twin brother Jack, his fiancée Eve Corby, and her father, Admiral Corby. Spy Smasher finds out that The Mask is operating a U-boat and is planning to flood the United States with counterfeit money in order to destroy the economy. After that nefarious plot is spoiled, The Mask tries other means to defeat the Allies, including destroying aircrafts, oil, and munition sites. After trouncing The Mask and his men through various battles, Spy Smasher blows him up in an exciting conclusion and is rewarded with a medal at the end. Because of your achievements, Spy Smasher, the United States defense effort will no longer suffer from the activities of the mask and his saboteur. Overall, the serial was met with very positive reviews, with a lot of modern critics calling it one of the best, if not the best, serial ever produced due to its fast-paced script and non-stop action. Kane Richmond was met with particular praise for his portrayal of not only the titular hero, but changing up his mannerisms to play his twin brother. The action in this movie starts basically from the get-go and doesn't let up for more than five minutes. It's heavy on action and lighter on dialogue and story, and is known for its stunts, action scenes, and major cliffhangers, with the hero feeling like he's a bit more into smashing than spying. The biggest cliffhanger occurred between the 11th and the last chapter, where it appears as though Spy Smasher has been shot to death, 
only for it to be revealed at the beginning of the chapter that it was Spy Smasher's twin brother who was killed whilst in disguise. At the beginning of every chapter, it would show a title card and give a quick recap of how our hero got into the current predicament that he finds himself in. Spy Smasher is actually one of the few serials that directly adapted its villain from the comics. The mask was directly adapted from page to screen, or panels to frames, for this serial, although he was killed off just a few months before the serial started being released. But one of the main characters in the serial wasn't in the comics. Spy Smasher's twin brother, Jack, who was also portrayed by Kane Richmond. It also has an Easter egg, where you can see the poster for another serial that Republic made, Dick Tracy Returns. Less than six months after the serial was made, a knockoff film called The Secret Code was made by rival studio Columbia, and was released due to Spy Smasher's success. It features the original hero, the Black Commando, who tried to halt the Nazis' efforts to cripple the United States. This is the first and last live-action appearance of Spy Smasher, with his only other appearance outside of the comics coming in a 2005 episode of the Justice League Unlimited show titled Patriot Act. I'll thank you to hand that syringe over now, Ratsy. Spy Smasher! And was voiced by Nathan Fillion. In 1966, the 214-minute serial was edited down to a brisk 100 minutes to play on TV and was rebranded as The Spy Smasher Returns. What's interesting is that director Will Whitney was just 27 when he directed this movie, and at the time he had adapted and directed the first two comic book superhero movies for the big screen, although this would be his last. Whitney has been described by some as the godfather of modern action movies, and filmmakers such as Quentin Tarantino hold him in very high regard. Whitney consistently directed serials and TV shows into the mid-1960s, and passed in 2002 at the age of 86 due to a stroke. Writers Joseph Poland and Ronald Davidson not only worked on this film, but a few other influential serials and recognizable characters of the time. Including this film and The Adventures of Captain Marvel, they also worked on a couple of Zorro films and Dick Tracy, but also a few other ones that we will cover in future videos, like Captain America, the Batman sequel, and Superman. Kane Richmond, who portrayed the titular Spy Smasher, left his home for Hollywood in the late 1920s. He was in dozens of films in his career, including appearing in the infamous Charlie Chan films, three films in the Shadow series, and starred opposite future president Ronald Reagan in the film Newt Rockney All-American, which is most famous for the line delivered by Reagan. Win just one for the Kipper. Richmond retired from Hollywood in 1966, making a good amount of money in fashion before passing in 1973 at the age of 66. Hans Schum, who portrayed the villain The Mask, was a German actor who left the country just a few years before the rise of the Third Reich. After making a move from New York to Los Angeles, Schum had a lot of minor roles in war-focused movies starting in 1933 up through the end of the war. Years after the end of it, he went back to West Germany to act and spent time between there and Hollywood. Schum retired in 1970, passing in 1990 at the age of 93 due to heart failure. By far the most famous actor in the cast was Marguerite Chapman, although in the serial she hardly had any lines except for the final part. She was discovered by Howard Hughes, modeling in New York before going to Hollywood in 1939. Over the years, she became a household name and a sex symbol, entertaining the troops during World War II and worked at a club to sell war bonds. Most notably, she was featured in the Marilyn Monroe-led pick, The Seven-Year Itch, which is infamous for Monroe's white dress being flown up by the subway grate. 
Chapman made appearances on TV until the 1970s and is a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She was even considered for the role of Old Rose for the 1997 film Titanic, but couldn't take the part due to poor health. Chapman passed in 1999 at the age of 81. Although Spy Smasher did find success both in comics and the serial, after the war was over, comics fell out of favor, and with no more spies left to smash, Spy Smasher's popularity dipped fast, and the sales of his comics fell, leading to the company to change his name to Crime Smasher. But this didn't help sales, and just a year after World War II ended in 1946, his comics had ceased being published. Many superhero comics struggled to sell between the end of the war in the 1960s, and he was no exception. It wasn't until his rights were sold to DC in the Fawcett Comics deal in 1972 did he see the light of day again, in a comic leading up to the famous DC crossover, Crisis on Infinite Earths. He was also featured in the 1990s comic series, The Power of Shazam. His original comics have lapsed into the public domain. Spy Smasher is truly a product of its time, and it really gives you a glimpse into the kind of entertainment that was made for kids and teens during the Second World War. At first, it makes sense that he didn't last past the war. He was very rooted in the war, and pulling the rug out from under him kind of sealed the deal on his comics ever selling again. But watching the serial provides some genuine excitement. The film starts with him being shot at within the first 20 seconds, and rarely lets up often not even letting the plot get in the way of the brutal fighting, and it is brutal. Republic had their top stuntmen on this picture, and Richmond often did his own stunts, but watching the serial, it just looks like they're beating the hell out of each other with little in the way of choreography or planning. Smashing chairs, throwing full body punches. If you want to watch a real action movie that feels like the realistic fighting pre the boom of the 1970s, this is it. The punches and the altercations feel real. And in the end, for what it is, this is a good movie, or at least an entertaining one. This makes it all the sadder that, unlike his wartime counterpart Captain America, Spy Smasher has not stood the test of time for a myriad of reasons. In my opinion, his best chance to appear in live action again was during the CW Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover, and that has come and passed. But maybe that's for the best, keeping him locked in time for future generations to see him with fresh eyes, getting a look into the past and not comparing him to a modern counterpart. In a way, that's kind of nice and fitting. He had a war to fight, and after he won, we didn't really need to dwell on it. We just moved forward. On the next episode of Panels to Frames, a familiar face.